Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, Matt. Hey, Christy. Greetings. Hey, hey. It's uh, Friday, Friday greetings for a podcast that we'll release next week. But um, how you guys how you guys feeling on this uh, Friday morning? Well, you know uh, I call it Finish Line Friday. I do know that, Christy. So, Finish Line Friday. Every yeah. Friday I only do school, so okay. I need to gear do you up like a that? little bit. Is that fun, or is that does I mean, it feel like oh man, I gotta do school? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be great when it's over. <laughs> Angie Ward isn't listening to this episode. Your your uh, supervisor, uh, hopefully oh, not. Angie, um, it's just Christy hard. It's hard things. Okay. So, but it's all right. It's going to get done someday. It and will. We're yeah, that's how school works. That's how school that's how works. School works. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's so, not forever. It's not meant to be forever. Two cups of coffee before I start. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very nice. It is pretty early for you out there. It sure uh, is on Mountain Time. Yeah, it's like normal normal morning time for Matt and I. Yeah, Chrissy, you know what uh, you know what my my son's teacher calls Thursday. Tell me, Friday Junior. Friday Junior. <laughs> I'm gonna steal that. I know. Uh, I, as soon as my son told me that story, <clears throat> I thought uh-huh. I gotta tell Chrissy Penley this <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's she's gonna call she's Thursday gonna Friday Junior. With her kids, gonna be yeah. Yes, sometimes I call it Friday Eve, but Friday I think Friday Eve. Junior is better. Oh, that's pretty good. That is pretty yeah. good. It I does like put it. a big. It does put a spin on Friday, on Thursday. That yeah. maybe is a positive one. Uh, speaking <laughs> of positive spins, Christy, mm-hmm. uh, you sent us a picture this week. Uh, oh, in in, uh, <laughs> in our text message, would you tell our listener about what's the picture? Uh, what's this, this big this big deal for you? Yeah, yes, big deal. And yet, when I received it, it was such a strange thing. Um, mm. I got I got a piece of paper, um, and it and it's official that I'm a pastor. And according to the piece of paper, according to the piece of paper, <laughs> right? Yeah, but you, which yeah. honestly, in my story, is a really big deal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to line up all my stuffed animals and preach to them when I was like four years old, yeah. and then I went to a school uh, for grad school and stuff that they they weren't they didn't agree that women could be pastors, and so I was like, oh, I'll be a Bible teacher, um, but mm. always a kind of excusing this longing and this mm. desire in my heart to be a pastor. Anyway, long story short, I became one yesterday. Officially, officially, <laughs> Pastor Christie. Pastor Christie. So it's a big, it's a big deal because it kind of fulfills this calling uh, that you've had a, a sense about. And you are, you are a great pastor, Christie. Um, so, but, but what? In what sense it, was it not a big deal? Because that was yeah, part of your text was like totally so it's like anticlimactic. Yeah, and it's a longer story, but the gist is I went to be ordained through one denomination many, many, many years ago. And to be honest, like I wasn't in their box. Like I didn't mm. fit what they wanted. And mm-hmm. it was just this big struggle. I'd taken all these exams and done all the things that they had wanted me to do. And by the end, they were like, Yeah, I don't I don't think you're academic enough. And it oh. was like a real like uh, shot to the heart. And then I was with another denomination that didn't ordain women. Mm. Uh, I moved to another denomination that they didn't agree with that. And um, 
and just the struggle and the the pain of that and and yeah. eventually coming to the place where I don't need a piece of paper. I mm. believe that my identity, that I'm a pastor at heart, and yeah. that if I wasn't working at a church or in ministry at all, hmm. the things that I would do would still kind of show that kind of heart to my yeah. neighbors and to the people yeah. that are in my life. And so yes. kind of came to that that mm. place in my own life. And then this new yeah. place that I'm working at, um, they were like, do you want to be a licensed pastor? And and I was like, well, I, you know, and there's a lot of intrepidation, honestly, when they were asking me that, because I was like, what does that entail? Yeah. Um, anyway. I've been through that before. That, yeah, they but, brought yeah, in that piece like of that. paper. Nice. And it was like almost anticlimactic. It was yeah. like the weirdest yeah. thing. And I think part of it was all the work that had already previously been done in my heart mm-hmm. with the Lord about all of that. So yeah. I sent you the picture break piece, ugh, the picture and the text message because I was like, oh, it's something mm. to celebrate and super weird that I'm like kind of not jumping up and down either. Yeah. It's like a, it was a weird thing. Which in some ways is something to celebrate as well, right? That yeah. God's done some work uh, in your heart about all this yeah. stuff. Yes. That's really cool, yes. Christy. On both yeah. counts. Congratulations yeah, so, anyway. and thank congratulations. You, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe, Matt, you were going to congratulate us on something else. Because mm. oh. right now, currently, okay. oh. uh, in the United States of America, the University of Tennessee is number one in football. <laughs> <laughs> and and it is like the uh, biggest deal in my family that they're playing Georgia um, tomorrow. And, okay. um Wow. I'm, yeah, but, we'll see. By that, that time, this game will have already. By the time pe- listeners listen to this, it'll actually be election day here in the United States. This is true. Uh, when this releases, but uh, but that game, however it turns out, Christy, it will already have happened. Will already have. Happened. But today we're celebrating. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if we are. I'm not a college football guy, so I might as well root for the team you like. Maybe the team yeah. you like too, Matt. Can I root uh, for both? Yes. Notre Dame and. No, no, you can't root for Notre Dame. I'm sure sorry, that's not allowed. Sure you can, Christy. <laughs> no, you can't do Pastor that, Pastor Christy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, think, yeah, you have to you have to weigh your words more carefully now that you're a pastor, Christy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, don't, don't talk about football. Uh, oh, no, actually, man. actually, you want to root for Notre Dame Saturday, Christy, because they play Clemson. This is true. This is true. I do. And you want, want to them root. to beat Clemson. Listen, I wow, cheer for wow. Notre Dame when they're not playing Michigan. I, I do. know you do. I know. Okay. I appreciate. Um, that. That's right. You're you're a little bit of a Michigan, yeah, gal as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's so. hard to keep it all straight. I started watching soccer about 12 years ago, and I just don't watch any other sports. So, mm. yeah. So anyway, it's reduced my number of people that I can sort of commiserate with. So, <laughs> yeah. But this comes uh, out on election day. People. This yeah, is it does. Like a yeah, November eighth. It is. Kind and of a big um, deal, the midterms. I had a funny moment about election mm-hmm. things. Can I tell you real quick? Sure. I was in the car yesterday with my youngest. And um, a friend of mine is actually running for mayor here in town. Oh. Uh, his name is Yemi, and he's awesome. And um, anyway, my son says, Mom, when is our friend running for president? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, Mr. Yemi's not running for president, honey. He's mm-hmm. just running for mayor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. President of the it. city, in a way. President of the so, city. Yeah, yeah. No. That's funny. That's cute. Yeah. Well, our interview today, I didn't even think about this when we put it on the calendar for today or um, as we started this intro, but this is sort of thematic in some sense because our interview today is with Chris Nye. Uh, We've had him on the podcast before to talk about a previous book, but his book that we're talking about this time is called A Captive Mind, Christianity Ideologies. 
and staying sane in a world gone mad. And so um, uh, some of the ideology, this is thematic because some of the ideologies he talks about are things that have been in the news lately leading up to this midterm election, like Christian nationalism, racism, things like this uh, that he identifies as ideologies that can um, distort, confuse the people of God, um, and distract us from uh, what the gospel is actually uh, saying to us. So anyway, uh, it's, a good, it's a good little book. Um, it's a book that Chris said he wrote accidentally, uh, just because he started writing about some of these things um, and uh, you know, trying to, trying to figure out how to help Christians uh, discern ideologies. Yeah. So it's, it's good, good work. Yeah, it is good work. I, I like some of his, he's really, uh, this comes out in the interview, but he's, uh, there's, there's a lot of clarity that he has around, for example, Christianity is not an idea. And like, I like, I like, I liked his clarity around that. And he uh, focuses in on a couple passages of scripture that are some of my favorites. Uh, the first few chapters of first Corinthians, etc. Um, one of the chapters of his book is called Christianity is stupid. <laughs> That was funny. That was my favorite chapter. It was really good. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, uh, Chris is a friend. Um, he's also, we mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. He's also a friend. We got connected through him through my brother. Um, he has known my brother, Aaron, who uh, produces and edits and mixes and audio engineers this podcast. Uh, they've known each other for a long time. He lives out in the West Coast, on port, uh, mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest out there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, anyway. This was good. It was a good interview, and it's probably a good one for election day here in the states. Probably all we need to say. Anything else we need to cover? Just Friends? that. Just that I wasn't on this interview, and I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to hearing it. Yeah. Well, here we go. All right. Chris Nye is our guest on the Gravity Leadership Podcast today. Chris is a doctoral student at Duke University's Divinity School and the author of Less is More, which we interviewed him about uh, three years ago, I think. Um, I think that was the book we talked about. Uh, and then also, he's the author of a book, the book we're talking about today, which is called A Captive Mind, Christianity, Ideologies, and Staying Sane in a World Gone Mad. For 15 years, he has served as a local church pastor and is currently on a sabbatical, which sounds lovely. Chris, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here. It is good to see you again. We got connected, uh, Chris and I, we mentioned this on the last time uh, you were on the podcast, but we got connected through my brother, Aaron, yeah, who actually uh, mixes um, and uh, kind of masters this podcast. Uh, and you used to work uh, with Aaron, right? A long oh, time yeah. ago. Yes. Back, back in the day. Back, back in, the, in day. the day. Love love Aaron. Shout out to Aaron. Yeah. Shout out to Aaron. He, he just mentioned to me uh, in a message when he saw this on the list of Oh yeah, uh, you know, podcasts coming up that he was going to need to mix and edit. He just said he would be very upset if his name was not mentioned, and so um, <laughs> now his name has been mentioned. So, Aaron, there Good. you go. Don't be don't be mad. Um, we're remembering you. We um, really really love you, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Now, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. just pouring it. Is we're milking it a little bit hard yeah. there. So, but yeah. it's it's okay. Um, so yeah, how many years ago was that? You worked with Aaron? That, it feels like oh, that I worked ago. with Aaron was yeah. like uh, 2010 to oh. 2016 or 17. 
Oh wow! Like, but but I think he left that church before I did. So okay, we yeah. had probably a solid five years though. Oh, great times. Yeah. I love your brother yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I love him too. Um, what's changed for you since then? Name a couple things. Um, well, I've had a son, most importantly, okay. so I've become yeah. a dad. That's a big move Congrats. since those years. Yeah. That's huge. Um, it's huge. Yeah, it's so fun. I have a three-year-old named Jude. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. Well, since back then, I was living in Portland. I moved to the Bay Area to do ministry for another chunk of six or seven years, and now I'm back in Portland, Oregon. So okay. I've kind of moved between California and Portland around that time. Um, I think I went to seminary during that time and got done with seminary and started doctoral work. So a lot, a a lot's moved around in my (laughs) life. Yeah. 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 Very good. What's the focus of your doctoral work? Um, well, it's kind of positioned in the, uh, doctor of ministry program. So it's more of focus on the local church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Duke is like, Duke. So they're like, you're going to write a dissertation. That's one of the things that kind of yeah. sets them apart. So we're uh-huh. we're focusing towards kind of historical theology around conversion and capitalism. That's kind of my, Ooh. that's what I'm more, yeah. So maybe, like you know, that. that'll be many years from now. Maybe yeah. I'll come back and talk about yeah, that I'd love once to I talk find about out that. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Once, once you, once you learn a couple things. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. That I got nothing on that now. <laughs> but that's it sounds interesting. Book. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let's talk about the book. Um, in the preface to A Captive Mind, you mentioned that you didn't intend to write this book. Um, so just like, what, what's the genesis of this accidental book? Why did you end up taking the time? It's no joke to write a book. Uh, I've written, I, Matt and I co-wrote a book since yeah. you were last on the podcast and man, it's a lot of work. So, uh, if you didn't mean to do it, uh, why'd you end up doing it? Like, what's the genesis of this book? Yeah, the, um, I, I'm just a, like, I don't know about your process with writing and, and you guys doing that book, but I'm, I'm a writer because it's like a process thing. It helps me think through things. So uh, during 2019, really 2019, 2020 into the pandemic, I just found myself trying to process a lot about how people were thinking Mm-hmm. and also maybe lack thereof. And I was trying to kind of think about how to faithfully pastor people through such ideological fixation. So um, I tried to write some things for publication, like uh, short stuff. It Nobody ended up wanting it. So I was just kind of posting it on personal website stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of looking back over it, um, maybe late 2020, uh, early 2021, I was looking back over what I had written. And I realized there was this theme I was trying to process around ideologies, how people think, um, how people present their ideas, how people are so fixated and and, um, and and you know grabbing on so tightly to the things that they think and the ideas they present and the way that those ideas make them feel. And I think I had like four of those chapters kind of already there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I, and then I was seeing it become more of a problem. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to turn out something short, something small, something accessible that could kind of come out within the year. Cause I thought, I don't know if in seven years we're going to be talking about it this way mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So that's when I just decided, okay, let's spin this and kind of try to turn it in, in into a book. Right on. Well, you, you contrast Christian faith with ideology, but Christian faith uh, does involve beliefs. So what's the difference between ideology and, and say, a strong-held you know, belief or doctrine? 
Yeah, I try to um, tease out that difference of saying that a doctrine is from revelation that comes from events, meaning anything from Sinai to the cross. Uh, these events that happen in God's history, which is called redemption, uh, those redemptive acts kind of come out and form doctrines. Uh, the events of Sinai, even the event of like Abraham and Isaac or the event of uh, the birth of Ishmael, any, anything from God's redemption mm. comes out uh, from that event and is formulated into this doctrine um, after it's been revealed to the people of God. Ideas kind of take the reverse standpoint. Um, they don't operate off of events and they don't operate off of, uh, you know, the interpretation of those events. They operate kind of out of the preconditions within cultures, right? And so people kind of take what's given to them within their own experience and upbringing and just kind of grab what they can take and kind of form ideas and then form ideologies. Those are kind of larger, uh, more theoretical things. The way they play out in modern time is, uh, you know, we, uh, like I love Aziz Ansari's latest special. He talks about how if he hears you say one opinion, um, he's like, I can pretty much guess your other opinions because I know mm. the algorithm that you're based in. Mm. You know, so if you start talking about immigration one way, I can tell you the what you think about abortion mm. or when you, you know. So these are things hidden within culture that come in prepackaged sets. Uh, that's different from Christian faith, true Orthodox Christian faith, which comes out of what did God do at Sinai and why does that matter? What did God do on the cross and what is that? How does that affect? us today. I'm not saying that Christianity is safe from ideologies. In fact, part of the reason I wrote the book is I see many of us capitulating, myself included, and contorting our, our doctrines into trying to cram them into those ideological sets mm. uh, and trying to cram them into the algorithms that we are so predictably enslaved to. I, I, I think that one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was to just try to create that difference. One of the chapters is called Christianity is not an idea to try mm -hmm. to kind of break down that temptation I have, as well as many have to come into Christianity and try to force it into one of those sets. Yeah. yeah. You, you just said something that triggers you, uh, you say Christianity is not an idea, right? And so that, can you double click on that for our listeners? Like for what sure. do you mean by that? And why, why is that important? Yeah. Um, it's important. I'll start with its important its importance because I think one of the reasons Christians are so um, in such turmoil right now is because they think that their faith is an idea or a sets of ideas that they have to protect and fight whenever they hear an opposite idea. They have to fight with their Christian idea. Hmm. I see the New Testament starting from the fact of you know First Corinthians one through three plays a crucial role in my book. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, I think that letter has an amazing witness to our world today where Paul says, you know, I decided in chapter two, he's like, I decided to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Later in 15, there's that famous passage. I want to remind you of the gospel. It's of first importance. Here's what it is. Jesus Christ rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. You know, that, 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 the faith in that portion, right? He has that famous line where he's like, if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is not really uh, credible. So the hinge point is the resurrection. Robert Jensen, a theologian, talks about how, how do we know who God is? We know he is a God. He is the God of uh, Israel at Sinai who brought the people out and gave them the revelation of the Ten Commandments. And we know he's the God of the cross. Those two events kind of bookend the whole story a little bit to help us know what kind of 
God he is. So when we say we're Christians, that's what we say. We say we're the God who, who or we're the people who follow God, who uh, got Jesus up from the grave and who you know came to us at Mount Sinai. That is our story. So it's a narrative focus uh, based on events and based on revelation given to us from heaven. Do ideas come out of that? In the book, I say, absolutely, ideas come out of that. But it's this the importance. When we're arguing about our faith, we need to recognize what are the ideas that are connected to our faith and what is the faith itself. The faith itself is the activity of God throughout redemptive history. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because those things we have to hold firm, creedal issues that we hold firm in the commitments of the faith, it actually leaves us to be open-handed with our ideas, to have better discussions about what, how our ideas kind of play off of those events. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to be iron-gripping uh, yeah. the ideologies that we so dearly love. And now, a word from a sponsor. All right, let's get back into our conversation. So I've seen that fragility that people have, that sort of panic, that fear about like, what if the wrong idea, you know, what if people have the wrong idea and we have, and we have this tendency to try to combat that with ideas. Um, but yeah, the, you know, faith, Christian faith is, is faith in something that God has done and is doing and is, you know, something that has happened and and is happening. And I think it was, um, I think it was Dallas Willard. Um, I always come back to Willard. Um, (laughs) You like do. literally, the man changed my life. His writings, and I met him a couple of times. But mm. he, um, in the Divine Conspiracy, I remember coming away read, from reading that with this like <laughs> sounds kind of funny, but this overwhelming sense of like, oh, what if this is all really true? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's not mm-hmm. just this like, and yeah. it's not, and it's not just something. What I mean by true is not just that Jesus rose from the dead back then. Right, that, not just that that all these things happened back then, but that it continues to happen. Not that Jesus rises from the dead and again and again, but God is actually powerfully at work in the world today and in my life today. And that's something more than just an idea I subscribe to. It's an it's a reality I can encounter. Um, yeah. So I don't know. This isn't part of your book, um, but this I mean, this, it changed my faith so radically that I wonder if you can reflect. A l- I guess it, you do talk about this in the book a little bit. But if if our faith is not rooted in ideas, it's rooted in happenings. Mm-hmm. How does God happen to us today? <laughs> if I yeah. can put it that way. Yeah. Like what 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 is our what's, what's the content of our faith? If it's not just this like mental assent to an idea about something that happened back then, but it's actual participation in a reality, how does that happen for us today? Yeah, that's, that's so, I, I too had a similar reaction to, um, the divine conspiracy and to Dallas Willard. I, yeah. I can't imagine walking with Jesus the way I walk with Jesus right yeah. now without I mean, him. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Grateful. Um, so grateful. And I think your question's great because it is an area that is underdeveloped in the book. And, and if there was a sequel, that would make a great sequel. Participation is mm. such a great word. I know a lot of theologians are using that right now. Um, that. Will Willimon is the director of my program out at Duke. He says all the time, he goes, um, you know, many, many churches act as if um, Jesus is not the main instigator of the conflict within their churches. Like Jesus Christ is the reigning living master who is making demands on Mm -hmm. every individual's lives in the church. 
Why would you think the annoying person in, you know, the third row is the main instigator or the staff member that's not on board with the mission is the main instigator of the conflict within your church? The main instigator of conflict is that there is a risen Lord that is making demands upon our lives every day. Mm -hmm. And all these people in this room and in this community, they're trying to figure out if they're going to actually do it or not. They're Mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out if they're going to actually walk in discipleship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you are too, as the pastor, you wake up every day and lean towards your own selfishness. And so I I think that's a fascinating place that this um, conversation can go because I think that for me as as a Christian and a disciple, that there is the heart of the faith that I want to ignore the most. Mm-hmm. I, it's so much easier to come up with opinions on yeah. policies and subjects and cultural issues. Yeah. It's super easy. And also our culture rewards it, you know? It's way harder to um, look at the Sermon on the Mount and 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 do it today, to yeah. walk out of my house and yeah. encounter people and not turn, you know, not, to turn the other cheek, to not uh, re- repay evil with evil, to mm-hmm. give to somebody not just what they've asked for, but for more than what they've asked for. Mm-hmm. That kind of participation in the living, mm-hmm. raised life of Jesus, those demands are so much greater. Yeah. And yet that is the faith. That right. is what Christianity is. It's yeah. not the other things we think that it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I could, you know, we could nerd out on that for a long time. Um Probably, uh, because I think that word participate. I love the word participation as well, because I think it connects, like the the age old like faith versus works kind of yeah. dichotomy. I think it's a false dichotomy, and I think participation is what connects it all. To say like this is a life empowered by God's life. This is a participation in God's life. That's what we're actually called into. And so, why wouldn't it involve works? Like, why wouldn't you want it to involve works? You know, of course it does. Like, the, yes. you know, there's there's no there's no other way to participate in a life. It yeah. has to be an embodied thing. It has to be a social thing. Of course it is. You know. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's part of. Um, again, I could nerd out about it, but that's part of why I ended up in a sacramental liturgical tradition because I think for me the embodied nature of the Eucharist. Yes. Uh, the embodied nature of the church, um, and I think the embodied nature of solidarity with the poor like are all key parts of how we participate um, in that life. Um, Well, anyway, thanks for uh, indulging my little excursus there. Um, Let's, let's get back into like ideology. Why is, so Christianity is not an idea. It's not an ideology. Um, It involves ideas and we can talk about those ideas, but um, what is at stake for Christians in, in sort of, maintaining uh, Christian faith apart from ideology. Um, what's like, what's the problem with Christians sort of succumbing to ideologies? What, what's the, what's at stake here? What's the issue? What are the bad things that happen to us if we allow that to happen? Yeah. I, um, I say several times in the book, I'm, I'm, I'm really hesitant to like sound alarm bells because <laughs> so I'm going to answer this question with a preface, which is, uh, this is nothing new. I, I don't think I, I, yeah. I don't want to sound like I wrote this book because we're in a state of emergency and the faith is at stake. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not Christ is risen. The church is on the move. Uh, all is well, you know, well, oh, there's right. a Dallas Willardism. You know, he wasn't, he asked at one point, uh, what is one word you'd describe God? And he said, relaxed. <laughs> Probably. He yeah. was, it was in a Q and a, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right. Is that, have you heard that Christy? Yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah. Um, so I want to start with that. Yeah, Amen. God is relaxed. Why? Why for for us to be stressed? Um, 
but uh, you know, I obviously wrote a book about this, so I have I have concerns, and I think the the concerns usually around my writing is just like trying to clarify Christianity for people. Mm-hmm. And I think when we succumb to ideologies and make Christianity an idea or sets of ideas, one, we're playing uh, games on the human playing field. Uh, you know, one of the key verses in my book is Colossians 2.8 that, you know, mm-hmm. make sure you're not taken captive by, this is where I get the title of the book, by any philosophies or deceitful schemes according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of this world. Mm -hmm. And I think, and and he says, and not according to Christ. So there's a way of thinking that is in accordance with Christ and is in discordance with Christ Mm. and more in accordance with elemental spirits of this world, straight up demonic activity, and also human tradition, just things that human beings are really good at creating. So when we create uh, Christianity into something else or capitulate into ideologies and I think what we're doing is we're just misrepresenting the gospel and therefore we're not doing, and to, to use the word again, not participating in the redemptive activity of Christ. And so yeah. I don't think it's something God's up in heaven like, oh crap, you know, my mm-hmm. church is off. I think what he what he sees is a, a level of mournfulness with us where we're mm-hmm. not um, seeing his work for what it is enough, you know, um, we're not seeing his work for what it is, powerful, hope-giving, life-giving, and uh, it's kind of cheapening it. But again, this is why Paul wrote so many letters. It's why Jesus speaks the way he speaks. It's why the early church had so many things they had to fight against. I I don't think we should be, you know, in alarm bells, but I think we should be kind of aware of the places in which our faith is we're trying to make it become something else or we're just allowing it to become something else just because we're a little lazy. Can I take a bunny trail off of this? Because I'm curious to hear, like, as you... Did you say bunny trail? Yeah, bunny trail. (laughs) Yeah, bunnies. I wonder if that's one of those regional things because I've always heard it as a rabbit trail. I've never heard bunny trail. (laughs) I've heard both. Have you? Okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, it's quintessential Christy to use a cuter word Oh, <laughs> than, than the actual word. I think bunnies bunny, are cuter than rabbits. Yeah, bunny trail. Okay, all right. Anyway. It must be one of those um, regional dialect things. <laughs> it's Go a Colorado ahead, thing. Christy. Uh, no, you, I mean, you're a pastor. You've been a pastor for a long time. How does this play out in like, you know, so many churches have like, here's my theology, here's my statement of faith, right? Yeah. How does this play out in like, really what we want is not just people to like think something or have some sort of head knowledge, but we want embodied participation in their beliefs. And so I'm just curious, like, is there another option (laughs) rather than having some sort of statement of faith connected to a website that tells you what the church is about, that we could have something else that helps us understand like how people are living? Yeah. Um, well, okay. I know Ben's an Anglican. Christy, are you a denominational affiliation of sorts? I I just love Jesus. Yeah, great, <laughs> great. Same. I'm kind of a free agent right now. I'm just roaming uh, with the Lord. But um, I brought I bring that up because I think actually, and Ben, maybe you could jump in and, and help me here. I do think the Anglicans have something very cool here where there is an open-handedness mm-hmm. within a lot of doctrinal commitments mm-hmm. where the statement of faith in a lot of 
Anglican churches, and a lot of churches, in, I think, are doing this now, is the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Yeah. And these become just the things that we hang our hat on to go, these are the historic doctrines of the faith. And outside of these doctrines, we will be generous, you know, and, and be open. And I yep. think like the, the Anglicans have, you guys have your documents, you have the 39 articles and everything like that, but I don't see churches being real ironclad with those things. No. And it's really going towards the creeds as these witnesses from history that took scripture and said, this is really what the faith is and what we will confess it to be. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of implications around it, but we're not going to um, we're not going to burn down the church that you know uh, that kind of disagrees with things outside of this creed or even inside of it. We're going to live inside of this creed. Yeah. But Ben, I feel like you have smarter things to say on that. No, that's really well said. Um, that's part of what attracted me to the Anglican tradition is the kind of the 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 big tent uh, mentality to say, yeah, this we've got some historic beliefs and here's what they are. And there is some wisdom in holding to these, you know, they are important, I, I believe. Um, so I, I think, you know, those, those beliefs are important. Um, but yeah, we can, we can talk about the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Har- Harawas, um, who's, who's at Duke too, Stanley Harawas, he, he has this thing where he said in Protestant circles, you will, f- you will f- largely find people who are anxious if they have the right beliefs or not. And they are anxious because those they believe that those sets of beliefs is what saves them. He says, yeah. you go to Catholic circles and it's usually a lot of people looking around going, how cool is it that God gave us all this stuff? You know, it's like, <laughs> we've got this bread, we've got these relics, like look at these churches. Like, it's just like, uh, it's, it's this really like, God gave us these things mm-hmm. and we're living inside of the things God gave us, including his holy Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you ask a lot of Catholics what they believe and they're like, um, you know, uh, I go to mass, I participate in communion and uh, I think my priest kind of knows what I believe, you know? <laughs> and I, I can say that a little bit. I grew up in that. I grew up in yeah. the Catholic church yeah. Yeah. and so, and was educated in the Catholic church. So I am very familiar with that yeah. and there's weaknesses to that. Yeah. Uh, and there's reasons I'm not Catholic right now, but I do think that's a healthy approach to, and kind of perspective of our particular, I would say even beneath Protestantism, kind of a modern evangelical anxiety that comes connected to, mm. uh, do I have it all right? Yeah. And most Catholics are like, I, I don't even, I don't even know half of what this stuff is. I know yeah. like the incense comes out and the bells ring. And like, I know that's Jesus in the bread and I partake of it, you know, and this is yeah. a gift. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something Protestants can, can learn maybe from that posture. That's just a little bit more like, you know, the right sets of ideas don't save us. Christ, Christ, is is he enough? Is his liberating activity on the cross enough to bring us into life with him now and life Mm. with him forever? Is that really enough? Or do we need need other things? Yeah, it's good. Um, I think my, getting back to the book, um, I think my favorite chapter title was Christianity is Stupid. Um, And... uh, (laughs) Let's was, let's do this. Let's sell books, Ben. This yeah, is how you sell yeah, books. Yeah, Christianity is stupid. So I have it on good authority that you think Christianity is yeah. stupid, Chris. Let's go. No, but yeah, explain. Uh, I uh, you mentioned you know First Corinthians, um, the first uh, yeah. three chapters of First Corinthians, which is where this comes from. But just explain a bit what you mean by Christianity is stupid. 
Yeah, it, that's coming from that passage about the foolishness of the cross. Mm-hmm. And um, I just needed to use a word that would be more punchy. You know, as a writer, you're kind of trying to find ways to <laughs> re-communicate some of these ancient mm-hmm. truths. And I do think one of the anxieties Christians have is that, you know, that people are going to think the faith is dumb and stupid and it doesn't make sense. And I'm like, it's always been told to us that it doesn't make sense. It's always been told to us that way. So um, that chapter is really trying to point out, it's really a a little bit of an exegesis of those passages because I, Mm. I try to go into the history around what Paul was fighting around the sophists and the way that the Greeks were seeking wisdom. I think it is very in parallel with what we are going through today. Mm -hmm. I'm also hesitant to be that pastor that's like, you know, oh, Corinth is the same as Portland, Oregon. Uh, It wasn't, (laughs) all right? They were like hunting a lot and stuff, okay? Uh, (laughs) Nothing like like our modern societies. However, the human temptation to um, be infatuated with the way that Mm -hmm. people speak and what they're saying and life-changing ideas and practical application for Christian living, all of those things that we really, really want, um, the cross is an assault on that. And it's, you know, the, the, the Greek there is scandal on, you know, it's a scandal. It's, they, they translate that stumbling block. And if you've read uh, Fleming Rutledge, you know, the crucifixion, like she does this great unpacking of that term, the stumbling block, um, an offense, uh, uh, stupid. When you first hear it, (laughs) you you cannot imagine that it could be true. And this is my point. I think a lot of Christianity that is preached to the person, we're trying to make it make sense. We're trying to yeah. make it seem palatable. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder what might happen if my preaching became a little bit more comfortable in knowing that the reception of my audience would be, this seems dumb. You know, mm-hmm. this, the, you're saying that this cross is what saves us? Like, we're uncomfortable yeah. just leaving it at that. And I, yeah. I think, I think the New Testament often did, yeah. you know, especially the preaching in Acts. You know, the preaching yeah. in Acts was very much just like, yeah, you crucified Jesus, and now he's up, and now you got, you have to repent. Yeah. And they were like, and, and be baptized, and they're like, yes. <laughs> they, <laughs> okay. they didn't give them much okay. else because they didn't have yeah. much else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence. And to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework. And it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. You know, to stay out of the lure of ideologies is one thing, but it's not just about remaining 
above it all, right? This isn't the same thing as never getting upset, right? Um, So what happens when following Jesus demands that we speak up or protest against ideas that are harmful for marginalized communities? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So two of the chapters near the end are um, kind of case studies. I I title them case studies of like, Mm -hmm. let's take what I've just laid out Mm -hmm. and let's put them in how they might be in conversation with ideologies. The two I picked were nationalism and racism. Uh, It's been criticized that those were easy targets. I don't think they're easy targets because I think both of those have become uh, have become a, a battleground the church has to fight in. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that we fight in that battleground is sometimes concerning to me because I see Christians adopting just progressive ideology in to combat conservative ideology around those two subjects, nationalism and um, and racism. Um, and there's good stuff from the world that we can take in, but if we're going to convince a Christian and we're going to talk about to the church why nationalism is a heresy, uh, we have to talk about it in theological terms. It mm-hmm. cannot be, I don't think it's helpful to talk about it in ideological terms. So the the battle has to be fought, but I get concerned that we're fighting ideas with sets of ideas, mm-hmm. whereas the cross itself has a witness against nationalism and against uh, racism that mm-hmm. I try to th- throw out there in the book, specifically through Jesus's um, interaction with Pilate, where Pilate kind of ends his conversation going, what is truth? You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a f- profound place to leave somebody is mm-hmm. to leave somebody going, I don't know which way is up. I don't know what that just was all about. Mm-hmm. And Christianity has the opportunity to confound people, to like leave them speechless. It's left me speechless many times, reading scripture, looking through some of the things that scripture witnesses to. Um, so the battle has to be fought. I, I question a lot of times the ways in which we're fighting it and how we're then kind of capitulating into the culture wars. Um, I don't think that, uh, you know, we need to necessarily war with culture. Um, I think that the kingdom is something outside and and within that's breaking in, that's like invading, breaking in, making space, clearing room. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say is that um, I do think that sometimes we have to let Jesus um, really, really speak, which I think, uh, I think I, I'm seeing in the most hopeful places in the church. And what I mean by that is, taking these texts that have been so important to the church throughout history, you know, Matthew 25 about, uh, about the sheeps and the goats and, and, and taking some of the uh, eschatological realities like in Revelation uh, and preaching them, mm. not trying to persuade some, you can't persuade a racist. I mean, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's not going to work by fighting ideas with ideas. Do you know what might, uh, might work? Uh, using Jesus's terminology and the and 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 using some of the language in Revelation, which is judgment. Mm. Now, now, I would much rather fight with ideas. I would much mm. rather say these. This is where you're wrong in the history, and this is where mm. you're wrong in the culture, and this is where you're wrong philosophically. Because mm. it's easier for me to do that 
than to pronounce what Jesus himself pronounced upon people, Mm -hmm. which was heavy judgment for those that were not walking in his way. Yeah. yeah, some of those places are scary to go, but yeah. Revelation 18 and 13 yeah. and yeah, you know, I mean those are important chapters for our our faith. Hmm. Yeah, interesting contrast for me. It's just just the thought just sort of came to me that what you're talking about is the difference between I think convincing and persuading with ideas versus bearing witness to a reality versus yeah. proclaiming the kingdom. You know, I just read uh, this morning, Luke 10, you know, where Jesus sends out the 72. And it's striking what he sends them out to do, right? <laughs> Which is like, go, go and if, you know, go in openness and vulnerability, you know, don't, don't take a bunch of supplies. And then look for openness and vulnerability. If you declare peace and that, you know, peace rests on them. If there's a person of peace there, then stay there, heal the sick. Eat, like, first of all, eat what they give you and then heal the sick and um, proclaim to them that the kingdom of God has come near. So there's this mutuality. We're living, receiving, and we're giving in mutuality in an an, uh, environment of openness and vulnerability, and we're proclaiming and enacting, how the kingdom of God has come among you. Um, But then if they don't, if they reject you, if they say, get out of here, we're not interested in the kingdom of God, you just shake the dust off your feet, and you you just tell them, hey, the kingdom of God came near. Um, But you know, we're going to go some, we're going to go somewhere else because the harvest is plentiful, um, which I think is the interesting promise that Jesus gives right at the beginning of that passage. Mm. But anyway, it's a, it's a task, I guess I'm, this is a long excursus, but like it's a task of proclamation and enactment rather than a task of convincing. He doesn't say go and convince them to accept me when I come. He just says, proclaim that God's coming, that God's yeah. here and yeah, and that's it. This is the same Jesus who told the parable of the weeds, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, right. there's going to be s- seeds that are planted, and the, the harvesters are like, hey, don't you want us to take the weeds out? And he's like, that'll happen at the end of the age. No, uh, no. This is the same Jesus that said, uh, you know, the disciples are like, there's people over there that in your name are casting out demons. Uh, is that a problem? And he mm-hmm. said, I, I mean, you know. I think they're for us because they're not against us. Like, right. and, and and the disciples are panicking, you know, in, in those moments about like, are we, are we on the right page? And mm. he's like, there is a judgment coming, yeah. you know, there, don't, yeah. don't, don't be wrong. There's some, some place we're headed here, yeah. but he seemed to be obviously handing his own witness over to 12 fools, you know, was, yeah. was his own uh, participation in his teaching yeah. to say, uh, I, I am going to give this over to you guys and some of you will be weeds and yeah. some of you will be wheat. Um, yeah. Some of you will be for us and some will turn yeah. against us. I don't know. Yeah, it's really good. Maybe one last question here to um, to wrap us up. Um, the last couple chapters in your book, you, you talk about ways to avoid getting trapped in ideological you know, captivity. Um, it reminded me of a book I read a few years ago called How to Do Nothing. I don't know if you ever read that book by Jenny Oh, I haven't Adele. read that, but I heard of that. Yeah. It was so it was so good. I loved it. Mm. Um, anyway, she recommended some of the same kinds of embodied and communal practices that you 
recommend, you know, at the end there, like looking out the window, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. taking walks, you know, playing guitar, going to church, etc. Um, what, maybe you could just reflect a little bit. What is it that you, what is it about these kinds of activities and experiences that immunizes us, if I can put it that way, against ideologies? Um, I think they just connect us to our humanity, which when we are Christians connects us to our dependency, which moves us to a place of humility. And that's, that is the place the cross takes us to. And when I am most vigilant in my mind and am able to be not held captive by the algorithms and the ideologies, I'm usually in a place of humility and wisdom. And I think practices like that ground us in the humanity that God's given us. So I think limits are really important. And I think that um, practices that show off our limitations and that remind us of our limitations. When I play guitar, my fingers hurt. That that's that's good. That reminds me of my limitations. When I'm gardening, it reminds me of my limitations. Um, I just think that these are not prescriptions that will solve the problem, but I am, you know, in some ways discipled by Wendell Berry in these areas of like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned of the disembodied things that, and the way they bring us to make ideas, which are disembodied things, the, the thing, as opposed to bringing blueberries to your neighbor, you know, like the, the, those are, those are the kinds of practices that the Christian faith was born into. It didn't have this technological theoretical yeah. space all the time. So, um, yeah, I'm careful. I don't want to be like super fundamentalist about it, but I just, you know, so many people in my church, like they read one book every year yeah. and I'm like, you might have to read two. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. you might have to, yeah. you might have to go do something else other than scroll on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christy, let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm oh, man. I don't know what came over me there. When Matt's not when Matt's not here to do the podcast, somebody has to be snarky, and I think I'm just filling the role. You gotta be you and Matt together. I don't, I don't know something like that. So, um, Chris, uh, I'm thankful that you spent some time with us. What? Um, how? How can people find you uh, online? Are you Are you on the internet? I am. I have to take breaks. Speaking of, uh, so I'm currently on a break, but okay. you can find me on Twitter and, and Instagram. I just, okay. and that's not cause I'm holy. It's because I am an unholy person who's on their phone too much. So, <laughs> but on Twitter and Instagram is a great place to connect. I'd love to, you know, if somebody's listening to this and wants to yeah. pop over and say, what's up, um, those are good places for me. Okay, great. Uh, listeners again, the book is called a captive mind, Christianity, ideologies, and staying sane in a world gone mad. I think it's out now, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Available wherever books are sold, probably. All right. Chris, thanks again. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Okay, Ben, I have some questions now after that. Okay. So I felt a little bit like I was in an airplane, you know, 30,000 feet above. Mm-hmm. And I needed it to be pulled down into like my my real life with my yeah. six kids and you know in Colorado and I'm just curious like how does that land for you like we talk mm. about these you know about ideology and I don't know I just 
there's part of me that needed, maybe it's like the Enneagram three in me (laughs) (laughs) that like, you know, the, the practical thing of like, what does this look like working itself out in my life? And do you have an example of that for you outside of like, you know, he talked about racism and nationalism and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a it's a challenge. In my mind, I think it's a challenge to to talk about ideology because um, I think there's a lot of ways to define it. There's a lot of ways to to think about, you know, what it entails. Um, but I do think there is there is this. Um, I, I appreciated like the later chapters of his book where he talked about these embodied practices that help keep us grounded in our humanity mm-hmm. and um, which, which keeps us, you know, connected to our dependence and our limitations as humans. Yeah. Cause I, th- I do think one of the things that ideologies do is they, they tend to become grandiose mm-hmm. um, and they tend to make us very sure of ourselves. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I agree with him that I think one of the big challenges for us as leaders and pastors is that, there, especially in the Christian world, unfortunately, there is a—I mean, the, the nationalism. Like people are proudly now proclaiming themselves Christian nationalists. Yeah, they're saying yeah. like, I mean, it went from Christian nationalism isn't real to ah, never mind. We're 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 Christian nationalists, and that's a that's a good thing. You know, people are writing books about this that just say it's a good thing, and it really is like taking captive large swaths of the church. And I like it, it is something. I appreciated his word that it's, um, you know, that, that God's not worried, (laughs) you know, um, that, you know, Christianity doesn't depend on, um, the ideas, uh, it doesn't depend on ideology. It depends on, you know, what Christ has already done. But, um, but yeah, I do worry. I am with him on that, that I, I think that things have taken a worrying turn where people have just yeah. doubled down on these ideologies. So I think the thing that I was most interested in, um, this is kind of a non-answer to your question because I don't really know what the answer is, Christy, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the answer for us as individuals to avoid ideology is, is those embodied practices, you know, is staying yeah. connected to our humanity, our dependence, and which, which I think keeps us humble. Um, but I, I, I'm still struggling to know, you know, the best way to lead, uh, in contexts like this. Um, but I, I think his, his comments on there being, I think his comments on, um, proclaiming reality rather than trying to convince, um, I think those are really helpful. Yeah. It actually made me think somebody recently asked me, like, if you had one sermon, like if your life was Mm. one sermon, Mm. what would the title of it be? And in in some ways that is like kind of taking the ideologies that we have and like bringing it down to like, what would your one thing be? Like, how are you living? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember your question now too. Um, And I was thinking about, I was thinking about our own church website (laughs) in terms of, I mean, websites and that kind of a thing, but um, we don't actually have beliefs listed on our website. Um, because it is just the Nicene Creed and the, the Apostles' Creed, you know. Sure. Um, but we uh, we thought pretty hard about like what are the practices yes. that we want to cultivate, you know, in our community. And so yeah. we do have like a set of four sort of normative practices that show up in kind of all the stuff that we do uh, as a community, and they're welcoming one another, 
um, and the stranger in love. It's listening to one another and the stranger. It's proclaiming good news or gospeling, gospeling each other. So we're always learning to proclaim good news uh, mm-hmm. to one another. Um, and then um, going um, slash joining. Joining is a word we added to going uh, after reading Willie James Jennings. But um, going and joining to, you know, uh, to stand with uh, the marginalized and the oppressed. And if those are like, you know, some of them are more aspirational than others, probably in terms of what we're actually doing. But they do give us a little bit of a guidepost to say we're more than just this community is about doing these things together. You know, we learn how to welcome one another, et cetera. So. Well, it makes me think like I don't want to just know what my orthodoxy beliefs are, right? But to have orthopraxy mm-hmm. type, you know, yeah. giving it out, which yeah, is good. Absolutely, so. absolutely. All right, friend. Well, it's yeah. fun. It was fun. Um, one last question for you. Yeah. Do you know why you never see elephants hiding in trees? Why don't you see elephants? I thought I Matt's figure not out here, the, so yeah, yeah. I was like, he's, he's not, we're not going to do a joke. Why I, can't I just you see elephants? To do one. Uh, wh- here's why you don't see elephants hiding in trees, because they're so good at it. It <laughs> <laughs> oh must be There it, you right? have it, folks. There that you have it, folks. It. Right. <laughs> see you next All time. All right. Peace. Peace, friends. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.